Hi, everybody. It's five o'clock Pacific time and uh, it's time for group coaching in room one. And I'm super delighted that every single person who's logged on has already renamed herself, which is so cool. I love it. Um, Okie dokie. So it's the start of June. And uh, for anybody who might not have joined us before, Welcome to Group Coaching with Room One. I'm Jess, of course, and I'm an orthopedic surgeon and life coach. Behind me here on the whiteboard, I just have a quick review of the model, which is our main coaching tool, and it's the thing we come back to most often. But just as a quick review, we have our circumstances, which are the facts of life that are outside of us, Um, kind of the observable world. It's kind of those things that are the facts and the things that our brains are trying to interpret then the circumstances trigger our brains to have thoughts. Our thoughts then create feelings in the body. And then our feelings will drive us to act in some way or enact or react. And then the actions that we do will kind of culminate in a result. And that is sort of the lived experience of our lives. And then that result, we can always tie back to the thought rather than the circumstance which is super good news because that tells us where we can kind of manipulate things within our own selves when we can't really manipulate things outside of us. Um, All right. So that's a brief review of the model and it looks like somebody has her hand up and I will go ahead and allow her to talk. Um, So if anybody has anything that they would like coaching on today, you can raise your hand, which is what sunflower did you can also go into the chat or um i've not used a q a to date i suppose you could do that too i'll just have to keep my eye on that but um feel free to go over into the chat and comment or or volunteer for coaching okay take it away sunflower hey can you hear me yeah okay so um i was on i guess it was last week or the week before And, um, we had talked about how burned out I was after, you know, taking so much call for the last two months. Mm -hmm. Um, so after that session, I started, you know, trying to be better about setting boundaries with myself and with other people so that, you know, I'm not doing too much or things that I feel like I don't have time to do. Um, and also doing what Kelly suggested, which is only using my mental energy on things that had to be addressed at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, and then last week I was in the same situation again, where, um, operating pretty late on Thursday, um, I had two add-ons. They told me I couldn't follow myself because there were so many emergencies. So, um, I was supposed to do a partner's case and I, um, I had messaged that partner that night when I left the OR and I said, you know, uh, I'm leaving the OR now I have clinic tomorrow. I can either do this case right after clinic tomorrow, or you're going to have to do it after your cases. I mean, it's his patient. I was trying to help him out. Mm -hmm. And, um, I sort of got guilted into doing the case and then sort of, you know, I also wanted to do it to get the experience, but nonetheless, it turned into a really late night again on Friday. And so the thought that ended up coming up for me was, if I could actually do these cases any faster, then I wouldn't be in the OR all night, you know, cause I can't control the fact that there's no staff. I can't control the fact that the staff are all travelers and, you know, don't know about things in the hospital. But the thought then came up like, Oh, if only I could operate faster, then I wouldn't be here until midnight every night. Or like, if I could operate faster, I could eat dinner or, you know, exercise or, a case that should take me two hours is only taking me, you know, would only take me two hours instead of longer. Um, And so I've sort of been struggling with that thought of, okay, I can't control, you know, many things around me, especially, you know, with everything going on healthcare now, but I feel like I can control my surgical time. And then it was that thought of, well, only if you could operate faster, then you wouldn't be here operating until midnight every single night. So how did that feel? Um, it wasn't great because I knew <laughs> I was like beating myself up for things that were not under my control. Um, but I felt like, oh, well, if I could just like somehow do it faster, I could just get out of here instead of spending here every night over here. 
Right. So, I mean, I can see the, um, it's like attractive, right? It's kind of like one of those thoughts that's attractive because it's like, then, okay, if it's my fault that things are slow, then that's one thing I can potentially control. But I just wonder why that, because that's putting an awful lot of pressure on yourself. It's like kind of mean. So what, um, kind of what's under that? Like, do you really think that, do you really think that's true? I mean, I know a lot of stuff is not under my control, especially after hours. And I have noticed that if I do like cases, seven thirty start time, or if I do cases in our surgery center, I am almost exactly on the dot with the timing or I finished mm-hmm. earlier than I say, yeah. but I'm noticing that with these add-on cases, it's taking me like hours longer than I say, and they are traumas and, you know, every trauma is different. So you don't necessarily know what it's going to be like when you get in there. Um, but then the other thought was, well, how can I be fresh when I'm starting a case at 8 PM on a Friday night? Um, So it's a cycle where I'm like, oh, well, if I could be faster, I could finish. But then it's like, well, I I don't think you can be faster when you're so tired. Right. So I'm wondering what the real problem is here. It sounds like you're looking for some kind of a solution to the situation that you're currently working in. Yeah. And if you can make you the solution, then that feels if it kind of gives us this false sense that we have some kind of uh, control over the situation, but it just is going to feel like total shit. Number one. And number two, it's probably not even true. Yeah. I just wonder, right. Because like for me, let me just, I, I posted about this in room one last week. I had like one of the biggest complications of my career last Wednesday. And it was supposed to be a routine, like vac change. It was supposed to take like 30 minutes. And this person had a major bleeding event in the recovery room. Like we were done. And it was like something I'd never seen before. Turns out there was a lot of factors at play. It was, I won't go into the details, but like I ended up having to take him back. And there was like nothing about any of that, that I could have made the situation faster. Right? Like I was there till midnight taking care of that. So there are all these things that occur that we, you know, hate and it's like, we blame ourselves, um, which is a pretty normal response because we want to have some sort of like solution to the whole situation being shitty. And I just, I just want to know what that means for you. Like, what's that doing for you in your own life? If you make yourself like responsible for the late night, like maybe, is it really not that? Is it something else? Is it, is it, I don't know. Can you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. I mean, I had a concurrent thought at the same time. I don't know if they're really related, but maybe we'll uncover something and they are. Yeah. So part of the reason I offered to do the case, even though I was exhausted, is is it, it is a case that's like pretty straightforward. I just haven't done it as an attending. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where I'm like, well, if I say yes to the cases, then I'll get the experience. And then the only way to get to be faster, really, in my opinion, is to get more experience. Okay. Um, but then at the same time, it's almost like I feel guilty for accepting the case and not setting that boundary and saying, I'm too tired. I can't do it. Um, you know, since we're in the body part of the year, Mm -hmm. um, when I went home that night, I had barely eaten all day and started clinic at eight 30, finished operating at midnight, um, barely ate all day. And this like phantom stomach pain I used to get as a med student and a resident kind of, kind of went away when I was attending, came back and basically like ruined my whole weekend. Mm -hmm. And so then I sort of felt guilty, like, you know, yeah, you got experience and it was great. You know how to do this case next time. But if you, if I hadn't, if I had turned down the case or if I had just dealt with my partner being like a pissy drama queen, um, Mm -hmm. you know, then I wouldn't have 
gotten sick and ruined the weekend. And then I, I don't know, maybe those two are related. Like, okay, I want the experience. So I accept these cases, even if I'm really tired, but then, oh, well, if I could do these cases and get faster, then I could do them and not be here all night. I don't know if they're related. So let's talk a little bit about why you accept the cases, because I understand the desire to get the experience. Like I get that completely. We've all been there. Um, and even the last time we talked, it sounded like you were having like this simultaneous competing situation where you want to get busy, but also you're like busy and don't want to be busy. Yes. <laughs> like these like competing <laughs> things, which is no problem. It's a human situation. We are paradoxes walking. Um, so again, it's like, I just wonder what is really going on here. Like, why, what's the, what's the reason to do these cases? Is it really to get faster or is it to, um, is it, does it have something to do with, you know, you and and you navigating this relationship with these people since that whole relationship seems like it's kind of been like sometimes rocky, sometimes not rocky. Like what's, because it sounds like you've taken things onto your plate, which has been your choice, but I wonder why. Yeah. Um, again, even though I, I'm saying I'm so busy, like relatively speaking, if you look at my numbers, it's not that busy. We just don't have the infrastructure to deal with any of this. Yeah. Um, so on one hand, yes, I want to do the cases so that I can get experience. And, you know, the more you do, the better you get. Um, but I think really what it was is I was a little surprised when I texted my partner and said, you need to do this case. If it's not ready on time, he mm-hmm. was then giving me pushback the next day. Like, Oh, I talked to the OR, the room will be ready for you. And I said, well, if it's delayed, I'm not doing it. I'm exhausted. And then he sent me this, you know, like pissy text message. And then the se- I think the senior partner got involved and said something to him, but it was like one of those things where I'm offering to help him. And Mm -hmm. then I rescinded my offer. He's upset about it. Mm -hmm. And then to keep the peace and in hopes that he will return the favor in the future, which he has shown multiple times not to do. And I should just, you know, get the hint already. I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll do it. Like next week, I'm going to be out of the country. Mm -hmm. And I made all my post-ops come back this week. So I was like, well, if something's wrong, I can't really rely on him to kind of help out with any of them. So I just want to, you know, see all the patients now. But I think the deep down thing was like, oh, well, if I help you, even though I'm tired and exhausted, maybe you'll help me when I need help, even though he's multiple times refused to help me when I've needed something. Yeah. So that's just really good to know, right? Like it's really good to know. And there's like no right or wrong way to think. It's just like, what does your brain offer to you because that those messages that you're getting are then gonna then you know like create the aftermath which is how you feel and then what you're doing and then the result that you have obviously so my guess is is that you've got like both happening at the same time meaning because we're always we're not like these neat little like one model at a time kind of creatures we've got like multiple things going at the same time so my guess is is that you have one model going Like if we put the case into the C line, this partner's case that you agreed to do in the C line. Um, So I don't know if anybody's watching this. I'll just go ahead and put this here. So I'll put the case in the C line and like you on one hand are like, if I could just do this faster, there's that model going. And then the other one's going, which is like, you know, this, if, you know, if I go ahead and do this, then maybe, maybe he'll help me at some point in time, even though he's not really acted in any way that showed that he would help. If that's kind of what you were saying. Yeah. But it's not that we need to even change anything. It's just nice to know like what we're doing. Right. Because if this, if you're like, if I could just do this faster and that's one of the messages you're giving yourself, then what does that do for you? How does that make you feel? Um, not very nice. <laughs> right. Like when you're doing, when you're like, if I could just do this faster, it makes you feel like shit. You're just like feeling like, well, like I'm not good enough. 
Like, it's like, this is my fault. Um, you know, if I could do this faster, I wouldn't feel so crappy right now. And so like, I don't know how to sum that up into a word for a feeling. Um, we can just put shitty if you want. Yeah. Shitty, shitty works. Shitty is a new emotion. Um, <laughs> and so then when you feel shitty, what do you do? You're probably beating yourself up. Yeah. And then, I mean, my body reacted right with this like stomach yep. pain that I haven't gotten in a really long time. You get a stomach ache. Um, you're probably like judging yourself and judging this guy. And then, you know, like while this is going through your head, do you think you're actually able to operate faster? Were you thinking it at the time or afterwards? I more thought it afterwards. He actually, I don't know if he felt guilty or if I said enough times that I should have just given the case to him. He actually came like he was dictating, he was around. And I don't know if he had a sixth sense to figure out that something was going in the room, but he was actually able to help with the setup. And he um, scrubbed in for the very first part. Um, mm-hmm. So the, between the two of us, we did the first part together really fast, which was great. And then the second part I did pretty fast on my own. And then it was the closure. When I looked at the clock, I was like, wait a minute. Like, why has this taken so long to do closure? I thought we were out of here. Um, and so it wasn't really until after the case, because honestly, I was, I'm glad the case went well, but I was so tired during the case that I don't think I had any other thoughts. It was after the case, like, why is it so late now? You know, yeah. we should have been done hours ago. Okay. So why am I eating dinner at one ten in the morning? So interesting because then like after the fact, since you really had kind of the effects that lasted into the weekend, it's like you almost create that reality for yourself. Like it, it's, it almost becomes this situation where it starts as a broadcast that all of a sudden you think is like the absolute truth. So then over the weekend, you're still thinking about it probably. And you're still like, gosh, if I could just do this faster, it, it, it's like you prove it. It's like you prove it to yourself that this is the problem when I wonder if it isn't. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, problems also include, you know, the circulator and not having all the dressings and stuff that I asked for three hours before. And, you know, no one knowing how to set up the bed. I knew something was wrong with the bed, but I wasn't sure what it was because it was like a setup that was a little different from what I'm used to. Um, But no, I definitely have been thinking about it for five days. Yeah. So this is so important because we all do this. So the thing happens and then we've got this messaging going, you know, either during or after the fact that basically makes it our reality. It proves to us that this is the issue. Like you're making this your problem and, and, and that's normal because your brain wants to be able to control something. So there's nothing wrong with you. Your brain is like doing a smart thing. Your brain hates this situation. Your brain is like so fucking tired of these cases that you're doing late at night. And your brain wants to give you some illusion of something that you can control. So it's going to offer you this shitty thought. And that's not a problem. Um, I think it's really, really critical for us to see this and to have awareness of this. You know, sometimes this is what we do. And that's totally fine. And when you can be like, oh yeah, there it goes again. It's like, yeah, that's what my brain is offering right now. And you can detach from it so that it's like, not who you are, you know, it's like, I'm not a slow surgeon. Like I don't create, I'm not actually creating this problem at the hospital. If you can detach and recognize that, then I think you're going to feel a hell of a lot better. You know, what's interesting. I actually find the staff at the hospital to be much more empathetic towards me than I am towards myself. Um, I was, I was doing a case like a month ago. Well, cause I mean, I remember last year you and I like worked on my thoughts about my OR speed, which I've kind of gotten over and I'm not really thinking about what the staff and stuff thinks, but mm-hmm. I was doing a case a couple of weeks ago and the circulator um, had worked at the trauma hospital in town for a while. And he said, he's like, Oh doc, it's okay. He's like at the five-year mark is when the surgeons get really fast. So you're good. You're not at five years yet. And like, 
I also realized on Friday that no one else in the room knows what I'm doing. Like they have no idea how long that case should take. That's right. Um, so and it's funny that they're more empathetic to me than I am to myself. Yeah. And you, I mean, this might be a really nice opportunity for you to create some empathy for yourself um, or some compassion because we make up rules about how long we think things should take. And we, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but a lot of us do. And we make up these rules about like, if it, if it's fast, then it's good. Or, you know, if I'm slow, then it's bad. And I think all of that is a load of shit. Like, I guess outside of, you know, things taking so long that the patient's at risk, but, um, I mean, things just take as long as they take. And I don't know where in this whole stupid system that we're in that was created by a guy who was high on cocaine all the time. Like, I don't know where all the speed rules came in. Probably it also has to do with like billing, right? Because the hospital makes more money, the more cases you can pump out. Um, But I think this also might be an opportunity for everybody to think about like, what am I making this speed thing mean about me? Um, Because... I just challenge the idea that the speed in, in any way, like really represents anything about the quality of the work that you're doing. And, and I wonder too, if it takes a little longer to do a closure that maybe that closure might be like, maybe more aesthetic or maybe, you know, like I can, I can think of a number of ways if you don't rush through the closure that that would be good for somebody. The closure was freaking beautiful. Um, and my default, I don't know. I feel like as a female surgeon, my default is to like, think about how a female would want her incision to be like yeah. totally forgetting that this is a guy who is high on cocaine all the time and literally doesn't care what his incision looks like. So afterwards I was like, I probably didn't have to do that. I could have probably done a different closure. Um, but yeah. you know, for what it's worth, he has a beautiful closure. So these, these are all like really good things for us to all reflect on and say, okay, where can I cultivate more compassion for myself? Because beating yourself up about not being fast isn't going to be useful. It's not going to help you get faster. Um, and obviously you feel like crap for days and days and everything that we've learned from you and what you've shared with us over the last couple months has been like you know, I'm assuming it's all true. Like what you're telling us about your system that you're in sounds like most of us were, you know, we're short staffed. There's no time. There's no supplies. Um, you know, all of the things that everybody's going through right now with shortages and whatnot and how stuff is taking forever. And we're all operating in the middle of the night and it's like, what the hell? So Yeah. I actually, on Monday, I was on call Monday. Um, and I got a call from another hospital system asking if they could transfer a patient to me. Um, cause both of the big level one trauma centers in town were on divert, which, you know, is not great for a big city to have, you know, all its hospitals on divert, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I actually ended up turning down the transfer and, um, helped them get the patient transferred to another hospital system. Cause I was like, you know, cause I called the OR And they wouldn't give me a time for when I could do the add-on. And I was like, you know what? This case, I think I could do faster, but I'm really not in the mood to test this at 8 p.m. again. Right. And so you made a judgment call for patient care too, right? And for yourself, for patient care. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah, the other surgeon, his OR was available sooner. So I was like, just send him over to that, you know, send a patient over to that system. Perfect. Um, So, um. One more comment. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, so this wasn't the case on Friday, um, but Thursday was um, legit a ridiculous night for the OR. I mean, they had so many true emergencies and, you know, everyone here is pretty collegial. Mm -hmm. uh, But when there's, you know, when the charge nurse is coming in and saying, hey, when are you going to be done? There's like a patient who's dumped five liters of blood into their bladder. It's like, God, I wish I was faster because this is like not an emergency what I'm doing and that other patients like legitimately an emergency. Right. But also that's not your problem. Yeah. 
right? That's the hospital's backup system and all that stuff. That's true. I mean, that can happen to anybody at any time. Yeah. So do you, um, I mean, I, I think this was nice for everybody to see and hopefully you too. Um, like there's always going to be competing thoughts and we're always going to have more than one thing going on at a time, but just to have awareness about what that creates for us. And when you can then detach from it and be like, Oh, wait a second. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. I totally get why my brain's offering me that right now. Cause it just wants to have control, but I know this, this really doesn't influence anything that's happening right now. It's like, if you can detach, then hopefully your stomach will feel better and you know, you'll kind of loosen up around that idea that your speed is the issue. Yeah. I call all these thoughts, the hamster Olympics. Cause there's like so many hamster wheel of thoughts. It's like the hamster Olympics. That is right. That's so <laughs> true. What a good way to yeah. describe it. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for volunteering sunflower. I'm going to put you back into Thank you. That. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. So we have another person who, um, has volunteered here. So let me uh, get this all situated. And now we've got, what happened? Uh Uh-oh. What happened? There we go. (laughs) Hi, Raining. Hi, how are you? (laughs) Good. How are you doing? I'm good. Okay. I have something that, um, is kind of like a trauma response that I want to talk about. And it's actually, um, so like I, my first job, which was over a decade ago, I haven't been at this job for over a decade. Um, but I was cleaning up the basement and I found a letter from the chairman, my old chairman who, it just was not a good situation. And he made comments about like, you know, me having a pregnancy and I, and, and he ended up getting in trouble by, for sexual harassment. Like somebody actually pushed it farther than I was willing to do. Um, so he's not a great person. He's no longer chairman. Um, but I found this letter and it said something about in, I think I had already given notice, but I had, you know, 90 days. And he said in the something about the last few days of my, um, of my employment there that he had something, he was just picking on me and he said, your actions were unprofessional and something. I, I don't even remember. It's just like, I don't remember what the event was, but I hadn't done anything wrong. He would, he had just decided that he didn't like me and he also didn't like that I was leaving. And, um, seeing that now I, I know that, and I knew it at the time, but that letter, like I saw it and I don't know why I kept it, <laughs> Yeah, but it was there. And I came up and I told my husband, I was like this letter. And then I was, I started crying and I was like, this was over 11 years ago. And I think that I, you know, don't have a, like, I don't have these big traumas that Mm -hmm. other, you know, other people have identified. And I know, and, you know, talking with you that trauma can be something like this too. So I guess I just want to process that. Yeah. Um, thank you for bringing it up. Um, so trauma is interesting because it can really be anything and it really has to do more with, our response to any event and then how that will then kind of influence how we relate to the world. So if we have shame or fear or guilt, it's usually shame. Shame's like the big emotion. So what came up for you? Like, I know you said you cried, but, and, and you also kind of mentioned a little bit about how, you know, you didn't do anything wrong. It was him and on, on a superficial level, that sounds like you're thinking about things like in a really mature way and like, you know, emotional intelligence and stuff, but, but what's so triggering, like what's coming up? Oh, I, I just think all the mean stuff he said to me Mm. over the, the time that I was there. And, and, and it makes me upset that my senior partner at the time didn't stand up for me and like 
I didn't have a mentor. So of, of course, like I was not set in a position that was, it, it, it was destined to not be good. And so maybe some of it is like, I probably made the wrong decision in the first, my first job, um, to take that first job when I had other options. That's a really interesting statement. I made the wrong decision. So you were in a situation where the leadership or, you know, there's gotta be like a power differential, right? Cause these people were probably, um, had more seniority because you said senior partner and then yeah, this yeah. other guy was the chairman. So there's a power differential and sounds like there was some verbal abuse is what you're saying. Like they said mean things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and people didn't help you. Right. But you say I made the wrong decision. So you are assuming responsibility for it, even though they, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, we yeah. Like that's a pretty typical yeah. thing yeah. for us to do. So that's probably the thing I need to work on because I, I made the best decision I could at the time right. and they, I just, I didn't have, it just didn't. Yeah. It didn't, um, things didn't happen. Like it was, was I expecting to happen? Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how you made the decision to leave and then what that looked like. Um, well, actually he had, he called me in and cause I, I think I had gone to him and said, I'm making this very low salary. I've been here for several years. Um, I think I need a raise. My productivity is good. And mm-hmm. he basically made fun of me, brought the business director in said something about, well, you should, you don't, you shouldn't go buy a brand new car. You need to buy like a used Honda Civic or something. I I don't know why he even said anything about cars. I wasn't even talking about cars. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, and then something about pregnant women shouldn't wear dark lipstick like you're wearing. And I mean, he had told other people, other, uh, you need to be a mommy. You can be a mommy or a surgeon, but you can't be both. I mean, he mm-hmm. just, was a let's say a ding dong um right so he's I mean those are those statements we could put in the c line of your model right and those you know because if he said those things those are facts right so but then what inside of you made the decision like I want to know about how you recognized for yourself that you were going to get out of there um, well, I just, a new opportunity came up and, um, and it's where I've been and it's so much better. Mm-hmm. So would you have left either way without the opportunity? Um, uh, sorry, my kid's getting in the car. Um, I would have, um, uh, yes, I definitely would have left either way. Yeah, a a good opportunity came up. Right. So that's just nice when that happens, makes things easier. But what I'm trying to point out here is that if you're telling yourself, like, I made the wrong decision, then that basically creates this sense of responsibility for this thing that happened. When in reality, even though it was shitty, what you experienced, it, it, obviously was going to provide you with an opportunity to learn something and maybe an opportunity to learn how to advocate for yourself. If you were able to go in there and say, you know, these are my numbers, this is the money. I want more money. Like many of us don't even do that for ourselves. And then, you know, to be met with abusive comments on that, like to, I don't know, maintain enough of a sense of yourself that you would have left with or without another opportunity. Like all of these things are things we don't learn how to navigate in medical school or residency. And so you had a crash course and how to navigate that. So I would just offer that perhaps it wasn't the wrong decision. It was a decision that created 
a situation where you experience some painful things that nobody deserves, obviously, like nobody wants to call in abuse into their life, but also that it wasn't wrong for you to make that decision. Like, how could you have known? Yes, I I think that makes me feel better that you're that that's a good way to look at it because I did definitely learn a lot. And then when I came to my new job, I've, you know, been a lot more vocal and Mm -hmm. set my expectations out and, and advocated for myself and others. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I've been thinking lately that our lives are like a giant staircase and like, no matter where we are, we're just on a particular stair And we've had to go through the other stairs to get to the one we're on. And we've got to be on this one before we get to the ones where we're going. And and it's just a staircase and it's neutral. And again, I don't want to ever suggest that anything abusive or oppressive or, you know, misogynistic or um, traumatic in, in in that regard is like anything we ever want or deserve. Nobody wants or deserves anything like that, but it's, but they happen And we have this opportunity to process those things in a way that helps us to grow and to kind of know ourselves better. Or we can be like, I did something wrong here. You can blame yourself or some people oftentimes will feel victimized by it. And it's not, it's not that that's either, you know, I'm sorry. It's not that that's bad either. Cause I don't want to judge anybody's response to trauma but we have choices. We have options to how to kind of like, what meaning are we going to make about it afterwards? Yeah, that, that yeah, that, that all sounds good. I, I like that better than my thought. Um, but I am still going to go through that, that letter away. <laughs> yeah. And so like, maybe now it's like, yeah, I mean, you could, you have this opportunity now to like purge it or do whatever you want. And I I think it's interesting how you went and told your husband and you cried because crying is such an important way that we like release energy. Right. So that stored energy inside of you was in you. Like maybe it came from that. Maybe it came from something that happened during the day. Maybe it came from being on call last week. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But that energy was stored up in you and you were able to let it out. So that's another really beautiful thing. Um, You know, so often I feel like we judge ourselves when we cry and crying is amazing. It is amazing. It's a wonderful release of stored up energy that does not belong in our body. So it's like your body has this like egress and there's nothing wrong with that either. So I don't, you didn't mention that you had any self-judgment about the crying, but very often I hear people like saying, and then I cried and I hate it. I hate that I'm a crier. And I'm like, gee whiz, it's like awesome to be a crier. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think it did help make me feel better. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about with respect to this particular incident, like with the, with processing the trauma, like, um, you know, it sounds like you have an action item that you're going to do to get rid of the letter. Yes. And, and I wonder, do you have any connection to these people anymore? Mm, I mean, not really. Yeah. And then you've just, um, itemize some ways in which you've grown and in the way that you've kind of taken off in your current practice and how vocal you are to advocate for yourself and other people. And all of that sounds like you did have post-traumatic growth. While you're chewing on that, I just want to read Niagara's chat. Niagara is saying, I think most of us made the wrong, quote unquote, made the wrong decision in choosing our first jobs. And then um, I, let me make a comment on that. This is so interesting because there are a lot of people, myself included, who have changed jobs multiple times early in their career. And I notice that there's even judgment around that. Like, I feel like in residency, we're not really invited to think about the the job of surgery very creatively. And it's like, you think, okay, you're just going to get in this job and that's where you're going to stay forever. And if you don't, then there's something wrong with you. 
but a lot of people change jobs all the time. And so we can just let go of that self-blame for the first job that we chose because we all have to have a first job unless you choose not to practice. Um, And, you know, sometimes it's great and you have all these positive experiences and sometimes it's a bunch of negative experiences, but no matter what, they're experiences. And um, so we don't need to heap on more judgment uh, on ourselves for leaving a job ever. You can, you can leave a job anytime you want. Okay. And then Niagara says, I'd suggest a ritualistic burning of the letter with sage to banish the evil spirits. Um, Niagara, I think I know who you are. Um, but I'm totally jiving with you because I agree with that. And I will show you. So I'm, I'm into the woo woo y'all, you know, that this is my smudging spray right here because I don't like to burn stuff in my office, but I have my smudging spray, which is my sage, white sage leaves and essential oils that I think smell so lovely. But I agree with that ritualistic burning with sage. And then Niagara says, I really blame the system, our mentors and those who hire us for getting us in situations that don't fit us. We have to be better about preparing our colleagues for their first jobs. Like, this is so awesome. I completely agree with this, Niagara. Um, The system that has been teaching residents has not been preparing residents to actually do the job of surgery and like how to negotiate or what questions to ask or what you might like in a, in a, position. It's just like, I just need to get a job. And we oftentimes look for jobs based on what our, our residency was like, because that's what we think it's supposed to look like. And then we don't have any curiosity or creativity or anything outside of that really narrow view. I mean, I'm not saying everybody's like this, but I think it's pretty common. And, um, we have an opportunity now to pay it forward for the people that are coming behind us to talk about this stuff and to really invite people to like not settle, you know, you can negotiate, you can talk to other people who work there. You can look at their turnover, not, not OR turnover, unless that's really important to you, but like the turnover and personnel. Um, There are a number of different ways that we can find out information. Um, And even then sometimes you won't, you know, you'll be surprised when you start working there. You're like, oh boy, that was a bait and switch. But I think there's a lot more we can do to kind of prepare people and then also not shame people for leaving. Um, that was a really good one, Raining. Um, anything else you want to say about that? Uh, well, the last thing I'll say is that the, um, we're getting a new partner um, who's finishing up residency. And I'm super excited because I'm all these things that happened to me with my first job. I want to make sure it doesn't happen to this person. There you I'm go. Try to help them out and be a good mentor and, you know, advocate for them. So I, I, right. I do want to pay it forward. Definitely. And isn't that interesting that if you didn't have that experience, would you be able to do that now? Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> it's hard to know. Um, that's awesome. So I'm going to go ahead and, um, lower your hand and then we'll let somebody else talk, but I'm going to change her name really quickly. Um, okay. And while we're getting electric on. Can you hear me? Yeah. Before you go into what you were talking about, um, I'm going to read two more comments. Sunflower said, a lot of residency mentors are in the academic bubble, have been in that job for a while and don't have a sense of the rest of the real world. That's so true. Mm-hmm. Um so that's, it really provides like a limiting view for people coming through. And then Niagara says, don't settle. 
Don't accept a lowball offer that a male surgeon already turned down. Google how many times the hospital has been sued by its employees. Ooh, that's a really good one. Those are good comments. Um, Alrighty, electric. Yeah, I mean, I'll just quick say both of these have been good sessions. I've struggled with both of those things that just so common. The very first thing I was ever coached on in this group was my slowness in the operating room. Mm. And I also left my first job. So yeah, I'm still slow. And I've been in practice for 12 years. And I've had like four four jobs. (laughs) And I just put in my notice, you guys, I just put in my notice on um, Monday to leave my group. Oh, wow. Yes. So I'm going to become a full-time coach and, and I'm going to do orthopedics on the side. <laughs> orthopedics <laughs> is going to be my side gig. <laughs> Anywho, what's going on? How can um, we- okay, yeah. I know we only have a few minutes. I want to talk about sleep. Please. So, it's like my favorite topic. It's, it's, I have been trying to, maybe this is the problem. I've been trying to conquer sleep for like 10 years, <laughs> probably Ooh. longer. Cool. I don't know. It's just always been a problem for me. So Um, and I, I can't seem to get enough sleep and I'm always feeling tired and I've tried multiple, multiple different things. And so I'm thinking there's probably some, not only like physiological, but like thought in there that I'm missing. Mm -hmm. That's keeping me from really getting the sleep I need. Interesting. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So So I, I know part of it is physiological. Like I'm a night owl Mm -hmm. and being a surgeon and a night owl doesn't always go hand in hand, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. I would love to stay up until 2am and get up at 10am. You know, mm-hmm. there has been periods in my life where I've done that and it feels the best to me, mm-hmm. but it's just not practical with, I mean, I know that I could try to somehow make it work, but, but that's besides the point. So I've tried to adjust my schedule and get myself to go to bed at like 11pm. Yeah. But inevitably, I might do it for like a couple of days, a couple of weeks, and then I slowly turn into where I'm staying up to like midnight, 1 a.m. And then I have to get up at, you know, I do start my clinic a little later. I don't get up to like 7, 7.30. Um, but that's not enough. I'm also one of these people, I need at least eight and a half hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. If I don't get eight and a half, it's not enough for me. And I never get that eight and a half. Um and I know most of America doesn't get the sleep they need. So it's, it's also fighting against a culture where a lot of us cut into our sleep, but yeah. oftentimes, like I sometimes am doing stuff. So sometimes I use that time because since I'm not a morning person, I don't get up and get anything done in the morning. So the, the late night is when I sometimes just relax or sometimes I check some things off to my do list and I don't mind any of that. But then I find I'm almost inevitably spending sometime either buffering on Facebook or, or because I'm so tired, but I feel like I need to still get stuff done. I'm trying to get it done, but I'm so tired and I really should just go to bed, but I can't get myself to go to bed Mm. because I feel like then I have to wake up and do my next busy day. And then I won't have (laughs) time to get things done. Yeah. So I have, so I'm obsessed with sleep and, um, I have lots of practical tips to help with sleep, but I want to, which I will tell you, but I want to get through the, like the model stuff first, because if there's something going on, you know, like brain body, obviously you're going to get the physiologic stuff worked out, Mm -hmm. um, with a proper doctor. Right. (laughs) Um, but what do you think you've mentioned the word buffering? So what do you think is going on for you from like a cognitive and emotional perspective when you're like in that witching hour or whatever, when you're like, I should go to sleep, but I, but this blah, blah, blah. And you come up with these other things, like what's happening then? Um, I think part of it is, you know, I've between work and family and, you know, trying to fit everything in during the day. It's like, I just haven't had a chance to just veg, you know, partly what that time is, you know? Um, yeah, but I also hate to cut my sleep for it. But you mentioned that you're like buffering with social media. Oh yeah. So what are the other actions that you're doing in this time? So that last like hour when I feel like I should just go to sleep instead of you know, staying up that extra hour or whatever it is. It's usually either, it's usually on my phone 
I do have the blue light filter on it, which, you know, (laughs) I know it's not good to be on the light, but I'm usually either, sometimes I'm reading, sometimes I'm watching a show, sometimes I'm, like I said, just on Facebook. Um, Yeah, so it's usually that last hour I feel guilty about. Sometimes I'm, I'm doing something that I felt like I needed to do like buy my son a swimsuit or, you know what I mean? Um, so shop. Yeah. Um, what's mm-hmm. going through your mind? What's your thought loop? Um, yeah, that's what, like, so I should just put the phone down and go to sleep, but there's something in there where like, if I do that, then I think it might be that the next morning, since I get up late, I immediately rush into craziness. So that might be part of it. So I'm like already dreading the next morning before I even go to sleep. <laughs> so, Maybe so. It's like if the yeah. thought you're having is I should go to sleep or, you know, something about dreading. So let me just start with I should go to sleep. What, what comes up for you? Like, how does that feel when you're like, I should go to sleep? Um... I feel like I, um, well, then I I start not being so nice to myself because then I'm like, you know, better, you know, you're going to be tired. You're going to be cranky. You're going to be short with your children. You know, you're, (laughs) you're going to hate life. (laughs) All the things. Yeah. But what's the feeling? Like, you're like, I should go to sleep. Um, I don't know if it's exactly guilt. It's, uh, like you should do something, but you're not doing it. I guess it's guilt. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Right. Like we're, um, yeah, I guess it's guilt because I feel like then I'm sabotaging the next day. Right. So it's almost like, um, I'm sorry. I just stroked out. I just lost my train of thought, but yeah. (laughs) Um, So I heard this really interesting tool. I forget where, like last week, when, when you start, when you start to use a word should, or when you notice you're using the word should with yourself, Mm -hmm. try replacing it with want or need just in your Mm -hmm. brain, just practice. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting how the should carries with it, this baggage, this guilt baggage. Mm-hmm. that then leads to this cascade where you're like buffering and shopping and judging yourself and criticizing yourself, which is basically jacking up your nervous system, which is going to prevent you from going to sleep. True. So um, it's a little bit of like a bandaid to then just swap the word want or need with should. So if you're just like, um, you know, again, like what I was saying with the first person today, it's like, if you could detach and just notice that's what your brain is saying. Oh yeah. My brain is saying I should go to sleep rather than saying I should go to sleep. It's like, my brain is saying I should go to sleep, but you know, I really want to go to sleep. I really need to go to sleep. That might be like a nice little trick, but I just Mm -hmm. wonder what's the real belief under the, I should. And I wonder if that's where like the dread for the next day is living or some belief system about. Well, I mean, I've proven to myself that if I don't get enough sleep that like I don't function as well and my, it's harder for me to like, I'm short with my kids and I just feel like crap, you know? Yeah. So I know I need the sleep, but I ignore it. Yeah. And so that just might be something to get curious about. Like, why, why am I doing that? Like, why, um, like there's something in our subconscious for all of us when we have these like surface thoughts, which is I should go to sleep. There's something in your subconscious. That's a belief. That's like, right. Giving you that statement in your brain. So that's where the real magic is, is if you can figure out what that belief is underneath that surface thought it's like oh so what do you believe about yourself around sleep like 
you know, obviously you have a belief system around sleep. Like you need a certain Mm -hmm. amount. If you don't Mm -hmm. get a certain amount, you're going to be a butt to your kids. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, is any of that actually true? Um, it seems like it, but (laughs) but it's just something to get curious about because you're saying it like it's a fact and maybe Mm -hmm. it is, Mm -hmm. but you can, you can just get curious about it. Like, okay, what am I making sleep mean? I'm like, I've given myself this identity that I'm a night owl. So Mm -hmm. in my brain, I'm making it impossible to go to sleep early because I think I am a night owl Mm -hmm. and physiologically speaking, maybe that's true. Who knows? But maybe it's not. And, but as long as we believe it as a true fact, it will always be a true fact in your head and in your, right. in your life. So if you just can be like questioning how true that stuff is. Um, since we have five minutes left, I wanted to give you some of my sleep tricks. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew Huberman is like hot. Number one, number two, um, <laughs> like my favorite neuroscientist. He's a neuroscientist out of Stanford, does a lot of research on sleep. Um, or at least he talks about it a lot. And he's, he actually suggested that, that anybody like, um, and I forget like the papers that this was based on, but that the night owl morning dove or whatever it is, like the different birds that one person was talking about people are regarding their sleep, that that's, um, perhaps not true. And that our circadian rhythm is set um, yeah, there was a podcast. You got to check out this podcast and I can forward it to you. Um, yeah, cause I think I know who this is. Um, so if you can get sunlight in your eyes within the first hour of waking that sets mm-hmm. your circadian clock, which is okay. really awesome because our sleep has to do with our temperature and it has to do with when we get sunlight into our eyes when you wake up. So people can start to work on setting their clock differently if they work on temperature and work on, um, getting that sunlight. And so if you're outside in the morning, it's gotta be like, I think five to 10 minutes of sunlight. It can even be low sun. It can be cloudy and all of that will be better than if you're seeing sun through a window. Cause a lot of windows have filters. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a very, very fascinating area of research. And he just did a podcast on this recently, actually uh, called the Huberman lab, but I'll post it. So then this is really awesome. This is this thing called NSDR, non-sleep deep rest. And then another name for it is yoga Nidra and you can get them on uh, YouTube for free, but it is like a 10 to 20 minute meditation, a guided meditation. So if you are able to get yourself into a position of repose, like anytime, really, you could even do this as a trick whenever you're kind of like in that hour where you're shooting yourself about sleep, um, just pop a yoga nidra on YouTube and see how that works to really, really relax your nervous system. And so what this is supposed to do is actually like change the brain waves into like the, the restful brain waves, which can help people then go into sleep for the night. Or if you're feeling like you're really lacking in sleep, you can do these like in the afternoon even. Um, so I've been doing these yoga nidras or the NSDR like four or five times a week, just as soon as I get home. Um, it takes 10 minutes and it is remarkable how that just kind of resets your nervous system. And then like the evening for me is much, much calmer. Um, so Google NSDR, non-sleep deep rest. So the melatonins and stuff like that. So melatonin apparently doesn't really help you sleep. It just shortens the time period that you fall asleep. It doesn't help you stay asleep. So I haven't been taking that. Um, you know, having that phone light, even if it's a blue blocker, like the phone light in your eyes, it does something to your retinas. There's something, there's some like photoreceptor and I forget the details, but like any electronics, even with the blue blockers are still going to affect our brain's ability to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think the best thing to do would be to, uh, forward you this podcast, if you can listen to that. And then, um, I can also post it on room one, but sleep is amazing. And, um, I value that you brought it up tonight because I think this is something that a lot of people deal with, especially with our jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and people don't feel like they even deserve to prioritize their sleep sometimes, Mm -hmm. or they feel like they have all these things to do that they need to get done. And you mentioned that, like having these items that you, you felt like you needed to get done. Mm -hmm. Um, so these are just opportunities for us to like question all of that and to say, okay, you know, is this all true? And if not, what, what would you rather have? Right. That was kind of a lightning um, round for like a really big topic. So (laughs) maybe if you could come to the next one, we could start with you and go deeper. (laughs) Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Y'all it's six o'clock. So thank you so much for participating and I'll get these loaded up um, for people and we'll catch you again soon. Thanks for joining everybody. Sounds good. Thanks. Hey, thank you.